We are loved. You are loved. Not the preacher or the deacon or the Sunday school teacher or the choir member. You. You are loved. I hope you will just let the love of God rain down on you right now like a waterfall from heaven. Knowing how much He loves you. I was sitting over there in the front pew thinking, after all these years, He still loves me. (laughs) Good news. Good news. His love never fails. We turn to the words of Jesus today, talking about the most practical of subjects in this series we're calling Live Rich. Some folks come to this passage in Luke chapter 16 and they spiritualize it in such a way that it's not really about money. But the truth is, Jesus tells a very long and involved story. And at the end, he makes it clear, he's talking about money, material possessions, and how we handle them. The first Sunday, I talked about sea money and how we ought to see everything as owned by God. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Last Sunday we talked about making money and how God is the one who gives us the capacity to do that. Today we talk about manage money. And the subtitle is Make Friends with Money. So, I'm talking about a most practical matter that applies to everybody in the room It's about Jesus and his teaching on money in Luke chapter 16. Now, if you have your Bibles, you can glance back and see that in chapter 15, we have the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son is a prodigal because he wastes his inheritance on wild living. He demands from his dad what belongs to him and he wastes it all. At the end of chapter 16, Jesus tells another story and he starts it by saying, there was a rich man. And chapter 16 ends with a story of a rich man who neglected the need that was nearest to him and steeled his heart against others and consumed by greed he died and went to hell and in the middle of these two stories about the prodigal who wasted his inheritance and the rich man who wasted his opportunities there is another story that Jesus tells about waste and in it he says clearly Wasting money is a terrible thing. Let's read it. Luke 16, verse 1. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. 
So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. What's this about you? The master says, I hear that you're wasting what's mine. Waste is what you take out of the house and put in the garbage bin and they pick up on Monday and Thursday morning and take to the landfill and bury. That's what waste is. Waste is something that you do not value and so you throw it away. And waste is the bane of any business. We're not told just exactly what this manager wastes. It could have been time. It could have been the talents of those that he supervised. It could have been the very possessions and money of the owner. But all of that waste is just like throwing money in a garbage bin. He filled up the trash can with the owner's money and possessions. Now, he's called to give an account because of it. Somebody tells on him. Just like the prodigal son who wasted his inheritance on wild living and came to himself on his own, this manager comes to himself when he is in crisis. We don't know whether the motives of the employees were good or bad. We don't know anything about why somebody reported him, but they saw the owner's money going out the back door and they sent word to the owner, your money is being wasted. And the owner responded. He came and he looked that manager straight in the eye. And every manager in the room, if you manage somebody else's stuff, you ought to hear the parable of Jesus. The, manager sa the master says to the manager, What is this I hear about you? I want an accounting now. I tell you, it's a terrible thing for, a man, for a, an owner to discover that waste has been happening and that he's got a manager who cannot be trusted with his money. Sometimes when I read the newspaper about our public institutions which waste the taxpayer's dollar, I get upset. Sometimes I read about corruption in government in New Orleans and I say, why don't you put that on the second page instead of the first? <laughs> but guess what? I'd rather know the waste that's happening than let it go on and never shine the light of day on it. If they're spending our money in a wasteful way, we need to know as bad as it hurts. I'll bet you this owner wasn't looking forward to a trip to the manager's office. 
He probably had other things planned, but he delayed them, set them aside, in order to sit down with a man who handled his money and say to him, I want an accounting. And he says, you can't be manager any longer. You're fired. He fired a man. Wasting money is a terrible thing. If it's somebody else's money, it'll get you fired. Say, every manager in the room, remember this statement from the Bible. Be sure your sins will find you out. Maybe you're honest as the day is long, but you're slothful and you let things go when you shouldn't. Sloth is as much a sin as dishonesty. We find out later that this manager is dishonest as well as being slothful. Just mark it down. Your sin will find you out. Wasting money is a terrible thing, but initiative is a wonderful thing. Somebody in the room needs to hear this now. Verse 3, the manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master's taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses so he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? Eight hundred gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, right, sit down quickly, and make it four hundred. Then he asked the second, And how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat. He replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. In a crisis, this man takes the initiative. He is driven to action. He addressed himself first. He said to himself, what a mess I am in. Sometimes you need to give yourself a good talking to. You know Hey, you can complain about the mayor and, and the senators and the Congress all you want. You can complain about the governor and the president if you want. But lots of times, you just need to look in the mirror and say, Am I really a victim of things I can't control? Or I, am I a victim of my own failures? And usually, it's a combination of the two. Yeah, times are tough. That's true. You can always blame it on the circumstances or other people or things aren't going well. You can always do that. You can always look around and say, it wasn't me, it was the situation. You can always do that, but somewhere in the mix of the same business you're in, there's some manager who figured out a way, even despite the circumstances, to manage the possessions and wealth of his employer so at least he didn't lose money. And he kept the business afloat. 
oftentimes the failure of the small business. And do you know that 90% of small businesses fail? It's why Peter Lynch, the manager of the Magellan Fund for Fidelity for years, I am told this, is, this was his secret. After he retired, he said this. He didn't invest in small business startups. He invested in franchises. Because once a fellow figured out how to make a profit with one single site, he was 80% likely to be able to do it a second time somewhere else. Businesses fail in large measure because managers fail. And this manager in this parable failed. And he looked at himself and then in the mirror and he said, what am I going to do? He took inventory of himself. He said, I've, I can't dig. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm too proud to beg. So what am I going to do? And the man has an idea. Hey! He is going to address accounts receivable. Okay? Hey! This is tough duty. This is the call you really don't want to make and you've delayed it all this time because the fellow you're going to call is a friend but he owes you stuff and he owes you money. And accounts receivable will put a business under and it is perhaps what plagued this particular manager. And Jesus tells the story how this particular manager decided to work on accounts receivable despite the possibility he would receive the abuse of those that he called and all the complaints and the service wasn't good enough and what I thought was going to buy didn't turn out to be right. All the excuses that people make for not paying their bills. This was his idea. This is his initiative. He's going to do the unpleasant thing that every manager has to do anyway to be successful. He's going to make some calls. Because he is manager, he has the discretion to discount a debtor's debt if it is paid up immediately. If you will pay right now, I'll take this and we'll call it even. And so these perpetual laggers who owed his master money he confronts them and gives them in one percent, in one, in one situation, a 50% discount off the principal of that note. In another, 80%. One fellow owes him 800 gallons of olive oil. He says, sit down quickly right now. If you do it right now, I'll take 400. He goes to another. He says, what do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat. Sit down right now. Make it out for 800. Give me 800 and we'll call it even. And this shrewd manager works on accounts receivable and gets his master a whole lot of goods in a very short time. Now, Jesus makes the application and it is make friends with money. Let's read what Jesus says here, okay? This is the interpretation of the story. The master commended the dishonest manager. Here we find out that he was dishonest. Not in regard to his collection of the debt, but in regard to his loss of the principal and the possessions of his owner. 
The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Listen. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Jesus is the one. The King James Version translates it, make friends with worldly mammon. The master commends this manager whom he had fired. The manager is now acknowledged to be dishonest as well as untrustworthy. He had acted. He had taken the initiative. He did something. Maybe it wasn't perfect. But we're dealing here with dishonest people stealing goods and services, the non-payment of debt. He had acted shrewdly, Jesus said. The word is prudently or wisely. We identified prudence some time ago as one of the cardinal virtues. One of the virtues you've got to have in your life, and it is the ability to make the right decision based on the circumstances at hand in the world in which you live. Prudence, the insight to discern what is best and right and good given the opportunities and the situation. Jesus makes a key observation. The people of this world are more shrewd in their dealing with one another than the people of the light. I don't know how Jesus observed this. He knew people who were people of faith, like you are people of faith. And he says here that oftentimes people of faith, people who walk in the light of God's love, people are seeking to elevate the really important things, who are not owned by their money, sometimes they fail to manage their possessions wisely. Sometimes worldly people have better sense when it comes to managing money than the people of God. That's very sad on a lot of levels. No owner wants his possessions wasted. This story is not about somebody else who runs a business. It's not exclusively about a manager. It's about everybody in this room because all of us have been entrusted to one degree or another with possessions that are not ours but belong to God. Amen? And maybe you're thinking, well, this doesn't apply to me because I don't have any money. Yes, you do. I don't have any possessions. Sure you do. Whether it's little or whether it's much, the question is, are you being faithful with it? And Jesus observed, sometimes people who love heaven and are heavenly-minded 
are no earthly good. They're so focused on the afterlife. What about the present life? Sometimes we who have figured out that love, joy, and peace, the presence of God, and heaven as our home is far more important than anything down here, we squander what's down here. And it makes a real difference how you use your stuff. I hope I'm talking to some young people and young adults who will one day be very successful managers of what God entrusts to you. One of my dear friends is a fellow whose name I see every time I make a trip as I did this week. The name McLean. It's on the trucks you pass on the interstate. It's all over the country. A guy who received a business worth half a million dollars. Half a million dollars. And turned it in 30 years into a business worth eight billion dollars. Drayton McLean knew how to manage money. And he was enthusiastic about handling possessions in a way that multiplied his ability to give back. And when he bought the Houston Astros, he got on the stand and he said, we're going to run this organization on honesty, integrity, and high Christian principles. He never won the World Series, but he won the hearts of Houstonians who knew his testimony and knew his character. I hope there's some young person in here like that who is gifted and careful and diligent in the management of what you have so that although it is little now, God will entrust you one day with much more. Management is so vitally important. Jesus makes the key observation. The people of this world are wiser than the people of light. Sometimes the people of light look in their purse and say, What? What happened here? It's all gone. And the key application is this. Make friends with worldly wealth. Can you hear that coming out of the lips of Jesus? What so distinguishes Jesus from everybody else on the planet is his absolute freedom from the tyranny of things. There is no tyranny of things in the life of Jesus. He knows what is important. He teaches us your life does not consist of the things which you possess. This is as clear from Jesus as any teaching in all of the pages of Holy Writ. Your life does not consist of the things which you possess. And yet he says, make friends with worldly wealth. Let me ask you a question. What's the alternative? Going to make enemies with worldly wealth? Are you going to manage your stuff in such a way that when you come to your deathbed, your kids are sitting there shaking their head thinking, man, what a fool he was. He just wasted it all. Isn't it true that if you are a keen, diligent, honest, patient, and hardworking manager of your stuff, one day your children will rise up and call you blessed and at least they'll be your friends. And the folks closest to you will think about you and say, he was a man of character. He did what was right and he worked hard and he was wise with his stuff. Jesus said, make friends 
with worldly wealth. Don't fight it. He doesn't teach us to fight it. He teaches us to be diligent with it. The key application is use your money in this life in a significant way so that your family and friends give you their respect. And the key warning is this. If you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? If you can't even handle the stuff, the physical stuff, the material stuff in your world, if you're, if you're living in the presence of all kind of junk that never gets fixed and is wasted away, who's going to entrust you with stuff that's really important? There's a lot of waste in these stories of Jesus. The prodigal son wastes his inheritance in wild living. But there is a wonderful truth in the story of the prodigal son who is busted. He was in need. He was in want. He received such a great inheritance from his dad and now it's all gone and he wants to eat the pig food. And the scripture says he came to himself. The light came on. I hope the light will come on. All right? Come on, light. Doesn't your Father in heaven have all that you need? Don't you think he's waiting for you with arms wide open? The truth of the prodigal son is God is the Father who waits for the wasteful son to return. And there is wonderful restoration and healing in the presence and power of a God whose love is this great for you. When you think about your financial history and your management of stuff, you may feel shame. You may feel guilt. You just bring that to Jesus. You bring it all back to the Father. You say, here I am. This is what I've done. This is me. And the Father, Jesus' story, throws His arms around this prodigal who's now penniless and puts the royal robe on him and restores him in the family. It's a beautiful picture. There is another wasteful man in this account. It's the fella at the end of chapter 16. There was a rich man who had lots and he fared sumptuously, the old Bible says. And there was a beggar who laid at his gate day after day full of sores and he longed to eat the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table and nobody including the rich man ever gave him aid you may be thinking to yourself what distinguishes a follower of Jesus in regard to his money from somebody who doesn't follow Jesus and that my friends is here at the end of this passage where Jesus writes in verse 13, it speaks, No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, you cannot serve God and money. 
Don't you ever say, leaving this place, that the preacher wants us to serve money or love money. No, sir. The love of money is the root of every evil. That's what the Scripture says. We don't want you to fall in love with money. We want you to treat it wisely and carefully because you are in love with God. And you've got to get this right. The prodigal son who wasted his inheritance on wild living ended up in the father's house. Not so the rich man who wasted his opportunities in his greed and stinginess. Who wasted the opportunity to meet the need of a fellow right at his gate. He ends up in hell. There is no redemption for the rich man who spurned the need of the hour who collapsed his life on the substance which he accumulated and thought indeed that this stuff was the very substance of his life. And in the end, he was just as poor as the prodigal wanting to eat out of the trough. Because you come into this world without anything and you leave it that way too. And the real puzzle for the fellow who is simply focused on the stuff, who loves the money, the real puzzle is, hey, you're about to go to the next life. Then whose shall these things be that you have accumulated? Brother, hard-working businessman, you're passing it all on maybe sooner than you think. And if your life's about the stuff, it's this thin. There's something far more important to you get, to get a hold of, and it's this. The stuff is given to you so that you might, in careful management and good stewardship, minister to those around you with the generosity that God has shown to you. And if you steal your heart and you make it hard and cold and you withhold your hand from those in need and you collapse your life on the stuff, then life is simply cold and in the end, dead. You cannot serve them both. I challenge you. To be a conduit of God's blessing on the planet so that as He blesses you, you bless others. Bow with me, please. Thank you, God, that you allow us to handle your stuff for a time. Help us be faithful managers. We want to hear your well done. God, don't let us be wasteful of our opportunities and our time, our resources, our talent, the things you've given us to do. Don't let us squander it. Lord, help us employ all that you have given us to good use so that we might care for our families and bless those around us. God, free us from the love of money. Help us love you fully and only. Give us a proper perspective on the stuff committed to our care. 
plant in us a generosity that is like unto your great generosity toward us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.